You're listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org. Today is from Matthew chapter 3. In those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Oh God, we come before you on this Christmas Eve and we thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and to reflect together on just how profound uh, this moment is as we consider your entrance into the world through Christ. God, we, it is amazing. I think it's the most profound miracle in all of the Bible that the infinite Uh, The Almighty, the boundless one, would become bound and touchable and um, would come in the form of human flesh and be perceivable and uh, would be like us in in every way. And so, Lord, we just marvel at what Christmas represents and what it says about you and who you are and your disposition towards a broken and hurting and rebellious world. We thank you for being the kind of God who does come to us, draws near even in our brokenness and our sin. You are a God who draws near. And Lord, I pray that you would help us not to be hard-hearted towards this gracious gift that has been given to us. As we think about Christ being the Son of God and uh, unto us a Son being given and what kind of Son he is, we thank you that Jesus is exactly the Son that you promised that Jesus is exactly the son that a broken world most desperately needs, that Jesus is exactly the son that our own personal troubled soul desires, and God, that you are well pleased to draw us near by that son and to adopt us into your family. So Lord, we just give you praise and marvel 
at what Christmas represents and what it says about you, what it says about us, and what it says about what the offer of Christ is in front of us. So Lord, help us to take that by faith, maybe for the first time tonight, maybe just refreshing our faith, renewing our faith, deepening our faith this Christmas. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. So have you seen those videos on Facebook or on the internet where it's uh, there's a military family, they're celebrating Christmas, and dad's deployed. So they're having Christmas together, and uh, you know they're opening presents, but there's this really big one in the corner. And then the kids go, and they open it. It's a gift from dad. He must have you know somehow got us something, right? And the kids go, and they open it up. And then out pops dad. Dad himself found out a way to get home for Christmas to be with his family. He's just like, it just makes you all mushy and squishy and cry because you just think of this anticipation of like dad's home and all of the effort and scheming that went into dad being home, that dad gave himself as a gift for Christmas this year. And so you watch those videos. If you haven't yet, go Google them and then you'll, uh, you'll be sad and happy at the same time. And it's just marvelous as you think about the anticipation of of this, uh, of this promised return and then the surprise when it happens in an unexpected way. And uh, it's just uh, all that went into trying to get him home from Iraq or Afghanistan or wherever he was to make this happen, the effort and the energy and the expense. And then the joy that comes when he just bursts onto the scene and uh, you just see uh, so many wonderful things. And it says so much about the human heart. It says so much about what matters. And ultimately, I think it gets to, uh, it impacts us because it echoes actually the bigger story, the bigger story of history, where we have been separated from God, and yet God has made promises to come to us, to come to us. He's made promises, and we're waiting, and we're waiting, and then Christmas is when all of the sudden, God has given us a gift. He has given us a gift, and we open it, and it's him. It's he himself that comes. And it's surprising, and yet it's exactly what we, ex- it's what we expected and didn't expect in all of these paradoxical ways. And so those kinds of stories get to our hearts because our hearts long for that story. That's the human story. That's the world story, is that we're separated from a God, and that God promises to come to us. And then when he does, it's so amazing and so surprising. And that's what happens at the Christmas story. God himself enters the world. And it's, most, it's, it's on one hand the most profound thing in the world. The magi travel. They, they get it. The shepherds get an announcement by the angels and they get it. And yet a whole lot of people don't notice most of the world. It's, just, it's so extravagant and glorious. And yet there's people that miss it at the same time, right? Which is such a, such a metaphor for so many things about coming to Christ and um, then this it's both glorious and hidden at the same time and it's it's just an amazing thing and so as we think about this idea of God giving himself as a gift we've been looking at over the last few weeks uh, that phrase in Isaiah chapter 9 I think I have it on the screen this prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9 700 years before Jesus comes on the scene Isaiah is writing under the inspiration of the Spirit he is writing about, um, he writes this prophecy. And this is what it says, Isaiah 9, 6. We're only take part of it because it's just, Isaiah is packed full of promises. And this Christmas prophecy you might recognize, Isaiah 9, 6. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be on his shoulders. So he'll be a king. The weight of government will be on his shoulders. His name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What a sweet title. Mighty God, 
So we know that this is more than just a man. Everlasting Father and Prince of Peace. There's so much packed into those words. But we've just been unpacking that one phrase, to us a son is given. And then what we've done is we've gone to Matthew. Matthew is one of Jesus' closest followers. He was a tax collector who was redeemed and called by Jesus, transformed by Jesus. And then shortly after Jesus' resurrection, Matthew writes down the account of Jesus' life. And in these first few chapters of Matthew, he picks up on this sonship language. That Jesus is a son. We were promised in Isaiah that a son would be given. This miraculous, supernatural son. And Matthew then picks up this sonship language in the first three chapters. And we've looked at at the five different times where sonship comes up. And this is what we've seen so far. I just want to catch you up. For those of you that haven't been part of the series, you'll get the Cliff Notes version today. For those of you that have been been part of this, you'll understand and you'll be able to uh, remember some of the things that we studied together over the last couple of weeks. But in Matthew 1.1, Jesus actually starts off his gospel this way. The book of the genealogy of Jesus, the very first thing he says, the son of David, the son of Abraham. And here's what that means is the son of David points to a prophecy given back in 2 Samuel chapter 7. A thousand years before Christ, there's this promise given to David, the greatest of Israel's kings, a man after his own heart. David tells God, that he's going to build a house for God. And God goes, that's nice. I don't need a house. Maybe your son will do that. But I will build you a house. There will be an eternal dynasty that comes from you, David. I'm going to give you a gift. And no matter what you do, no matter how disobedient you are, I'm going to do this. I am going to make this promise to you that I will, one of your descendants, a son of David, will sit on an eternal throne forever. And this promise in 2 Samuel 7, when your days are filled, fulfilled and you lie down with your fathers, this is to David, I will raise up your offspring after you and you shall, who shall come from your own body and I will establish his kingdom and he shall build a house for my name and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. So Matthew then takes that son of David and says, Jesus, this baby born to Joseph and Mary in Bethlehem, is that king. And you actually see magi travel a long ways, right, to come worship this king. These astrologers from way, way far away somehow pick up on the signals that God had been giving. And God's own people don't even know. He's born right under their noses. And yet these other people come and they pay homage to him and they glory in him. And so we see that this son that is given is a king, an eternal king. And then he also says, unto us a son of David, or a son of Abraham is given. So that's what, that's what Matthew says, that this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Davidic promise, but he's also the promise, he's the fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. What God promised to Abraham, even before David, centuries before David, there was a promise made to Abraham. And this was the promise made to Abraham, just out of the clear blue sky, God just goes, ah, you, I'm going to use you. And here's what I'm going to do with you. Genesis 12, two and three, I will make of you a great nation and I will bless you and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you, I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. And so Abraham, in an act of faithful obedience, moves his family and begins to follow this God that just called him out of nowhere and gave him a promise that he would make him a great nation. 
And that that nation would not conquer other nations, but be a blessing to other nations. And so then Matthew picks this up and goes, this promise is fulfilled ultimately in Jesus. Abraham would become a great nation, the nation of Israel, but Israel would ultimately fail to represent God well, would fail to be the blessing that they ought to have been. And so the fulfillment of this Abrahamic promise comes to fulfillment in Jesus Christ. He himself will build a nation of people by faith, and those people will then go to the nations to make disciples of all nations. And so Jesus himself is a son of Abraham given to us. Not only that, in Matthew 1, 20 through 23, we're told, uh, as part of a prophecy from Isaiah chapter 7, that unto us a son of a virgin is given. Jesus is the promised one. He is uniquely able to save humanity from within, but, from, but without the corruption that comes with sin. Isaiah 7, 4, 14 tells us, The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. So there, there's this prophecy. And so now we're starting to get this, this Venn diagram where son of David, well, a lot of people could fulfill that one perhaps, but also a son of Abraham and then also son of a virgin. We begin to see that there's only one person who can check these boxes. And this is a supernatural one. None of us were born that way. We were all born the natural way, but there is one who has come, and he is fully man, born of a woman, fully human, and yet more than human, because he was supernaturally conceived by the Holy Spirit so that he is divine and man. So he is entirely like us so that he can save us, and yet he is entirely unlike us in all the right ways, in all the right ways, and that he is without sin. He does not have a sin nature. And so it is both God and man in one person, supernaturally conceived, supernaturally brought into the world to be entirely like us and to be unlike us in all the right ways that we need in order to be saved. And then in Matthew 2, 13 through 15, we get this, uh, this picture of Jesus being a son out of Egypt that God has given for us. Hosea 11.1, 1, when Israel was a child, I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son. And so what we see is that Jesus is the better Adam, because Adam is called a son of God, but Adam failed. Israel is called a son of God and delivered miraculously from enslavement, brought into a new land, blessed and provided for, and yet they fail. And yet God still has a son, a son that will come. And Jesus himself, because of Joseph's, uh, because of Herod wanting to kill all of the baby boys in Bethlehem, um, Joseph is given a dream and he takes Jesus and goes down into Egypt and flees and, uh, and then is brought back out of Egypt. And you get this picture that is sovereignly ordained where Jesus is in some sense identifying with the people of God, with the sons of Adam, with the sons of Israel. He, is, he has gone into Egypt and come back out, this picture of deliverance and exodus from slavery because all of humanity is under the enslavement of sin. And Jesus himself will now come and identify with those who are enslaved by sin, but then break them free, bring them deliverance. So there's so much in this son of Egypt language. And then in Matthew 7, 13, that we just read the capstone of them all, where God himself breaks open the heavens. And at Jesus' baptism, where I think Jesus is actually identifying with sinners, I think that's why John the Baptist is so perplexed when Jesus comes, is because John is preaching a message of repentance. 
And repentance is this idea that I have sin that I need to turn from. I am broken and wrong and I need to repent and I want to demonstrate that outwardly. And so people were baptized to show that they were walking in, they wanted to walk in a new life. They wanted to repent of their sins. And so when Jesus comes to John and says, I must be baptized by you, John's like, no, you don't have anything to repent of. And I think what's happening there is that Jesus is actually identifying with sinners. He's, in a sense, meeting sinners in the water of going, hey, just as you're identified with me through death and resurrection, through baptism, I'm identifying with you. I will go first. I will be the one that, that identifies with repentance, not because he needs repentance, but because he's identifying with the message and he's identifying with us. And then when he comes up out of the water, the spirit comes down like a dove on his shoulders, the heavens open up, and you get the voice of the Father himself, God the Father. And he says... This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you just get this, this capstone of this sonship language in Matthew where Matthew is trying to get us to pick up that all of the Old Testament prophecies, all of this picture of sonship is culminating, funnels to Jesus Christ, this baby born in a manger in Bethlehem. We get this powerful picture of Jesus himself being God himself in the flesh. God the Son, sent by... And you have the Holy Spirit there. You have all three members of the Trinity all giving testimony that this is the gift that has been given to the world. This is the Christmas gift. You might have wondered when we read this, going, hey, Josh, you missed Christmas by like 30 years. <laughs> Jesus' baptism is way after Christmas. But as Matthew tells the story, it flows right together, and it gives a clear evidence of of what kind of gift God has given in his son. He is a son of David. He is the eternal king. He is a son of Abraham in that he is going to make a nation that will be a blessing to all nations. He's the son of a virgin in that he is fully man in all of the right ways, fully human in every way, yet without sin. So he's more than a man. He's a son out of Egypt, which means that he is willing to enter into the brokenness and enslavement of mankind and deliver them. He's the fulfillment of Israel's story. He's the fulfillment of the Exodus. He is the perfect son where Adam failed. He is the perfect son where Israel failed. He's the perfect son where you've failed. And then ultimately we get God himself saying, he is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. You know, you know the phrase, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We all know that that's blatantly false, right? The most painful things you can remember are things people have said, right? Christianity would go the exact opposite, would say, no, po uh, the power of life and death are in the tongue. We know that words are what created the world. God spoke and things were brought into being. Words can give saving faith. Romans 10, 17, if you confess with your mouth, that's actually Romans 10, 9 and 10, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Even John 1 talks about the Christmas story being the word being made flesh. All of God's promises, all of God himself comes into the world through Christ. And God's own words about you are really all that matter. 1 John 3.1 tells us this. Uh, let me turn there. 1 John 3.1. Think about this. The words of God. 
See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, because he said it, right? Through Jesus Christ, God became man so that men could return to God, be adopted into God's family. He sent his son into the world to live a perfect life, to die a sacrificial death, to deal with our sins, to be resurrected, and to ascend into heaven so that we might be adopted into his family. We're the straying children. We're the ones that traded and became enemies of God, and he came after his enemies. He came after us, and through Christ, he declares us his children, adopts us into his family. So if you can just imagine this baptism scene for just a moment, how profound this would be. For Jesus, for Jesus, think of this, the words of the Father just publicly declared over him. The words of a father declaring his pleasure for his son. But then also the public witness of this, of God going, this one, this is the one you've been waiting for. Go open this gift. Follow this man. This is where all my pleasure and delight is found. And if you're found in him, then what is said about Jesus will also be said of you. You are my beloved son or daughter, and you I am well pleased. Can you imagine hearing those words from God? And they're true for those that embrace this son. This is the son that has been given to you, a son of David, son of Abraham, son of a virgin, son out of Egypt, the son of God, in whom God is well pleased. And the most common phrase for the Christian in the New Testament is in Christ. In Christ. That's who you are if you've embraced this gift. If you've opened it, God has come to us. And you see the, the kids, right? When dad pops out of the box, it's just wrap your arms around him. Like dad picks up the kid, right? And it's just, it's just mush, right? And that's exactly what the right response to Jesus is is to realize what we have in Christ and then just give our whole selves to him. So here's what we find that Matthew leads us to. This is what God has given us in Christ. Jesus is exactly the son that God promised. You can read through the Old Testament. A thousand years before Jesus, a son of David is promised. Two thousand plus years, perhaps. A son of... Abraham is promised. 700 years, a son of a virgin is promised. 500 years beforehand, a son of God. I will be a redeemer. I will send a son. I will come myself, God says, through the Old Testament. So Jesus is exactly the fulfillment of all the promises that were given. I don't know how to explain the Bible unless there's a God behind it. 1,200 years, what, several different continents, 40 different authors, who can do this? Could any of you a couple of years ago predicted what happened in the last year? And yet God has weaved history in such a way that human writers are writing down things that he's leading them to write. And it weaves perfectly up and down through all the rise and falls of empires. And it all comes to a culmination in Bethlehem. I have no explanation for the Bible unless it's true. And if it's true, then Jesus is the center. And this is the reality that stands before us. Jesus is exactly the son that God promised. Jesus is also exactly the son that this broken world needs. Look around the world. 
Watch the news for six minutes. Just scroll through your social media. Is there anywhere where you can find any like legitimate hope of anything kind of out there? People do good things, but it doesn't last very long. There's all kinds of common grace everywhere. But we also know that it's all tainted. You all know that, right? I don't have to explain that. We all know that the joy seems so fleeting. Death eventually comes. Disease eventually comes. It's just the brokenness eventually wins, doesn't it? There's nowhere where you can turn that isn't affected by and contributing to the brokenness. Something outside this cold system, this closed system, must come in. We know the second law of thermodynamics, right? Things get worse. You don't build a house, move in, and then it just gets better. You've got to fix stuff, right? You've got to change the oil on your car. Our bodies break down. We get this, the law of entropy. It's just part of living in a broken world. So if something is going to come and make it better, it has to come from an energy source outside of this world. And that's what the Bible promises, is that there's an eternal God who can see within this snow globe and go, I can go in there and I can fix it. Someone can come in and reverse entropy, can reverse the second law of thermodynamics, can, can change all of the devastation that's happened in your life. Something outside must come inside this broken world if there's any hope at all. And the Bible tells us that, yes, there is something that came in that can reverse it. It was a person, God himself, Emmanuel, God with us. He came as a baby, the most vulnerable creature in the world, right? A baby has no natural defenses. Came in so vulnerable, entrusted to a teenage girl to care for in a barn. God comes at such a low, humble state and then conquers the world through death and resurrection. What an amazing story the Jesus story is. So Jesus is exactly the son that God promised. Jesus is exactly the son this broken world needs. And Jesus is exactly the son that your troubled soul needs. You know this. This isn't just the world's problems out there, but you're fine. Right? If you're honest with yourself, you know that this is true of you too. You can't fix yourself. You maybe have tried. Our New Year's resolutions won't even make it to February, right? We just can't fix ourselves. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the strength. It's too heavy. It's too difficult. Our habits are too ingrown. We're too selfish. We can't fix ourselves. You not only have wounds and scars from other people's sins, you have wounds and scars from your own sins, and you can't scrub those away. You can't make those go away. And you know what? There's other people that bear scars on their hearts, minds, and souls from you. Right? We've all, we're all part of this. We're all part of the problem and the brokenness. It's not just out there. It's in here. And we're going to need somebody a lot bigger than us that can come and fix it. And Jesus claims to be that. The kingdom of heaven has come. Repent and believe in him. And then lastly, Jesus is well-pleased I should say God is, is really what that says. God the Father is well pleased to draw you near by his Son. If you'll receive the gift of this Son as your King, as the blessing, as the God-man, then God's declaration of Jesus is true of you too. You are my beloved child and you I am well pleased. 
And you might not see all of those scars healed in this life, but I guarantee you there is one who can reverse those, who can make those new. And it's the king of the universe. It's the Jesus who came into the world to save sinners like you and me. That's what's being given at Christmas. Like, I just can't make up a better story than that. And thankfully, it's the one that's true. So God's own son is here to meet all your needs, to satisfy your heart and your soul, to forgive the sins by you and against you, to heal and restore and redeem by his grace. God gave his son, Jesus Christ gave himself, to be your king, to bring blessing and not condemnation, to be like you in every way, but not corrupted by your sin. And therefore he is able to deliver you out of the Egypt of bondage to sin and your past and your regrets. Those are things he easily can deliver from and is happy to deliver from, to deliver you from sin and death and hell into a new community, into a promised land, into a new kingdom headed for eternity. And he has been given to be your God that you may hear his declaration of adoption over you and to delight in you and to give you his Holy Spirit. Friends, the gift you've received at that first Christmas is the gift of all gifts. And it is the gift you're craving. If you're really deep down honest with yourself, this is the greatest news in the world. The only thing that stands between us and receiving this gift is our own pride. That's the only thing that stands in the way of us receiving that and enjoying that. If we stay kind of stuck in our own pride, unwilling to bow the knee to Jesus, unwilling to go, no, I think I'm good on my own. I think I could be the one that reverses all my problems. I think I can do it. Then you remain on the outside in the cold and will for eternity be separated from him. But there is an opportunity that if you'll just embrace him, bow the knee, repent and believe, you can be brought in. Let's bow and let's pray. God, we thank you for this great gift that we're celebrating at Christmas. I pray that this will spark a lot of conversations tonight over dinner as we open gifts. And what a joy that is to be able to give and to celebrate, to enjoy all of the trappings, the lights and everything. And yet behind it is a mind-blowing reality of a God who exists, who came in the form of a human being, not to judge and condemn, but to redeem and to save and to give joy, to give eternal life. So Lord, I pray that we would unwrap that gift, so to speak, by faith, that we would receive it. We would trust in Christ with our whole hearts and that we would have, we would begin to experience the freedom and forgiveness and deliverance that is promised through Christ. And God, we look forward to the day when all of the pain and the sorrow and the tears will be gone and we will be with you forever. So we look forward to the more gifts that are coming for those that trust in Christ. God, we give you thanks this Christmas for all that you have done for us. In his name we pray, amen. Let's stand and sing. Thank you for listening to the Redeeming Grace Church podcast. For more information about our church, go to rgcrc.org.